and welcome to Unidentified Wargamer. Each week I interview a wargamer and identify them in the hobby. Uh, this week I haven't got one, but I've got two wargamers to identify. Well, you, one's been identified already and that's Chris Welfare. Uh, but I've got a new guest with me as well. I've got James. Uh, and they're part of the duo that runs Sydney Slaughter. How have you two been? I was going to let James go first because I've been <laughs> I, I've been identified, so I'm well, I'm well, and I'll let you uh, I'll let you identify James. All right. You know, yeah. How have you been, James? Yeah, been yeah, good? been good, mate. Been good, busy, good. Um, post slaughter, post slaughter um, aftermath. Um, yeah, so that's no, been good. Back to normal life. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. And what about yourself, Chris? uh yeah much the same back to work um yeah. very busy it's end of year now i'm in finance so um yeah it's going to be a busy few months but uh yeah still got time to record which is good oh awesome well thank you i do appreciate you both coming on tonight um and be look out in the future as well i will have a player interview with james so you can actually see who he is and he will be identified <laughs> Yay! <laughs> but i bought the the, the duo, the TO duo for Sydney Slaughter, or also known as Mortally Wounded Podcast, um, on to discuss and talk to them about running tournaments, uh, which their main tournament anyway is Sydney Slaughter. Um, so I just wanted to talk to them and see sort of like their headspace and their decisions behind running the tournament and sort of what we can learn from their mistakes. Because I'm sure, as everyone knows, people make mistakes trying to organise tournaments. Um, to better inform newer tournament organisers or people that want to scale up their tournaments. Um, so we'll sort of first off get started there. What was the decision behind wanting to run Sydney Slaughter? Um, I mean, I'll, I'll start with that one. I guess this is the fifth year James and I have run Slaughter. So we've been yeah running it obviously for five years, I guess six in time because we missed one because of COVID. Um, but we, this was our fifth year actually running an event. And um I mean, my my kind of primary reason for wanting to start running an event um, way back in 2016, 17, um, yeah. was there weren't there weren't any events happening in Sydney, um, and I I was like, well, I want to play in events. Um, so I guess if no one else is running them, like I'll get the ball started, kind of thing. So um, I'll yeah. I'll run an event um, in the hopes that other people would then also start running events um took a little while to be honest in sydney but then um i think by the second year of us running slaughter anthony the coach like magro then started running sydney gt um but uh sydney hasn't had loads of aos events i'd say um so that in itself was a reason for us to i guess keep running slaughter um because it, it, mm. it was one of the two real events in in sydney um and and still is i think um but yeah, I mean, for me, it was a, I want to run it because I, I want to play in events and I hope that by me doing it, other people will do it. Um, and then I guess over the years, my desire to keep running it has just grown from positive feedback, seeing my friends enjoy the event, um, having another weekend where I get to meet up with people. Um, and you get a different, you get a very different experience of a tournament running it than you do playing in it. Um, and and that experience was something that I I really enjoyed um, the first time. Um, so that's that's why I've kept running it. Uh, um, what about mm -hmm. you, James? Yeah, I guess like um, when you said you want to run an event together, I was like, yeah, let's do it because um, yeah, for what you said, like there wasn't anything happening um, up until that point. We just sort of been having smaller 
kind of um, store leagues. Like back in the day um, when Age of Sigma first came out, there was um, sort of like the first kind of swell of um, movement when the um, Clash comp um, came out, which is like this pool comp system because there was no points. So um, when that came out, it sort of provided that structure that gave it, made it more accessible for a, like an organised play environment. So that kind of helped kind of kick, kick people into thinking about that kind of space. And, um, yeah, I remember Sean Radcliffe ran like a store competition um, at um, the Warhammer in Sydney. And it kind of, that's, you had like some of the original OG were there for that. Like, you know, the Matt Campbells and the, and the Liams and, um, uh, you know, other names in the Sydney scene, but like, yeah, it was kind of, I got the flavor and the taste for that. And then when so it wasn't long before Chris, you know, suggested we should a do a podcast together and talk Warhammer. Cause we just love doing, doing mm-hmm. Warhammer together and talking Warhammer all the time. And um, don't we all, yeah, <laughs> we all obsess over it. <laughs> yeah. And it just became an extension of, of that, I guess. So, and, and like, I just love living the dream, like living that hobby dream where you've got like tables of, full of terrain, lots of people playing games, just heaps of people into it, painted armies on the tables. Like I just love setting up an environment where I can just live my hobby dreams and see it all happening, you know, like, you know, what you see in the magazines, let's make that happen on, you know, in an event on, an, on the tables and make it a reality for people. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it seems you guys have definitely succeeded in that with uh, being on nearly six years of running a tournament and pulling in large numbers. What was sort of the starting size you guys sort of got going there for your first tournament? I think the first year was like 20 people. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It that was, was about, big, wasn't it? Like, yeah. Like I was, I was, was ha- a, I was happy with 20. Like, like I said, it was, it yeah. was the first tournament anyway. Yeah. So like having, having yeah. a room full of people um, at, to that point, like up, up until then in Sydney, it had generally been like the most you would get would be like eight people in the, around the tables in Warhammer Sydney doing like the league that James mentioned Sean had set up, which was kind Mm -hmm. of a, it was going on each week where you would play a few opponents and then you would kind of go through the ladder sort of thing, but there wasn't, there wasn't a tournament. So having 20 odd people all together in a tournament room together, just playing games. um, Actually ran two, you actually ran two tournaments in the first year. There was the warm up tournament. Yeah. I did a warm up as a a tester, (laughs) a tester, tester, um, which, so you've done six slaughters, really? Then, well, oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Just... yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, I thought before I do the actual one, I should do a, a dry run in terms of pa- in terms <laughs> yeah. of pairings and software, and can I do this? Um, which, yeah. yeah, that that was all fine. Um, that was excellent. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. Yeah, like twenty people, I think, the first year, mm-hmm. and then I think we grew to what forty, like the next year at um, Club Ashfield. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we, yeah, we kind of expanded Well, we looked to expand, but I think we ended up getting similar numbers, um, like 42, maybe, mm. um, the first year we did it at Padstow RSL. Um, okay. and then from there, we then grew to, I think we, we had 70 spots for the year before last at Padstow, um, with drops, we ended up being like 62, I think for the weekend, um, and then this year we decided to put a cap on it at 64 um, because we liked the number of people and tables and stuff we had that, that year before last. Um, and we, yeah, we sold out that cap of 64 and um, we only ended up with one drop really. And then they, and that's that was on good. day one and then they turned up for day two, um, which was, that's unheard of to get basically only one drop. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah we, we had the 64 um, this year. So yeah, we've grown from, 
yeah, 20 to 40 to 60 kind of sort of things. Okay. Yeah. Did you find you needed the cap as sort of like maybe space-wise or is it more you wanted to keep a scalable size so you weren't having to invest in a ton of more tables and terrain or is it more just the actual venue size that you wanted to cap it for? Um, yeah, we kind of – we cap it so we can sort of keep it comfortable and, yeah, also manage like resources as well. But, um, yeah, I think that's the main reason. Like because at, um, at Padstow, like we can spread it out with sort of like a tiered auditorium for those who haven't, haven't been there. You can kind of just imagine a, a big stage at the front, a kind of dance floor area in the front of the stage and then there's like three tiers that kind of go up um from there so we've got tables on all the tiers um we like to have it nice and spread out um mm -hmm. so um you know it's it's just the kind of event i like to go to as well like whether you've got a side table um and because we put side tables especially on the ones on the like the sort of top 10 tables will get their own dedicated side table um we just like the comfort, the quality over the quantity kind of kind of thing, and that, yeah. that keeps it small enough so there's a that, that community vibe, um, and not not there's anything wrong with the big event vibe because that's a whole different kettle of fish, and I love going to those events as well, um, namely CanCon being the you know, <laughs> um, the flagship event. Um, can't miss that, but um, but having those sort of smaller community based events, you've got that more intimate um, uh, interaction with the people who come. And you uh, and the setup, especially at Padstow, really facilitates that um, interaction. The social side of the um, of the tournament really comes together uh, nicely with just a sort of that's a, a smaller number, even though sixty four is yep. still quite a lot. Um, but everyone's kind of integrates that bit more. Um, but yeah, we're looking at think we're thinking about expanding it uh, in numbers in years to come. Uh, we're kind of riffing with that idea at the moment because we do have another room. Uh, at Padstow, which we could possibly expand into and maybe check a couple more tables on the um the uh, the the main floor. Uh, but yeah, we might we might expand it a bit more. But we kind of yeah, as I said, like it at that level. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely appreciate when there's a tournament you could you can feel they could squeeze in another ten more tables, but they've decided to limit it to allow for more space. Because um, when I went down to Vic GT, that was sort of their deal. They could have easily squeezed in a bunch more tables. Yeah. But we had enough room for everyone so you weren't by bumping bums or having to squeeze past people to get to your table or in and out. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciated that because I know that means they're looking after looking after the actual um, event goers rather than trying to look after themselves. Um, so I definitely can appreciate you guys wanting to have a larger space with less tables just to make it feel a lot more like prestigious, I suppose. Yeah. And I mean... It, it, it's it's been something in the first few years i was definitely like look i want to grow i want to grow i want to grow you want to be seen as this it always feels like the big number events are the ones that get all the kind of attention and coverage online and and stuff like that so you're like oh i, I want to be the the 150 player tawny in in sydney or whatever but um obviously anthony's done that with his big venue for sydney gt and we now that both James and I obviously aren't in Sydney either, um, <clears throat> logistics has always been a big thing um, and always is for a tournament anyway. Um, and for us, Padstow, especially when we did it last year and finding out that we were going to be able to keep all of the boards, all of the mats, terrain at the venue um, yeah. in, their, in mm -hmm. their storage cupboards, um, for us was just like, okay, th this, yeah. is our, this is our venue. We can organise this from brisbane from goulburn and 
mm. we know that majority of it is sitting in that cupboard. So we rock up on the Friday and it's all there. We don't, even if you lived in Sydney, if you don't have a venue where you can store stuff all year, you need utes, you need people that can take all those boards, take all those mats, take all the terrain every time. It's a, it is such a bigger, um, I guess, time and effort impact if you can't keep stuff at a venue. Um, and that's not something I could do when I lived in Sydney. We didn't have the space to store it at my house, couldn't store it at James's place. So um, that that has always been um, our biggest, I guess, factor for finding a venue and we have yeah. moved we have moved around three venues now for slaughter but padstow is is the home now of of sydney slaughter um yeah. and the fact that yeah we can store all of our stuff there is a big thing behind that um there's also been other relationship things um and with the venue that have massively helped um us keep the event there um which is great mm-hmm. um but yeah, the, the size sort of thing, like we we do want to grow, but now like talking about it this year, it's not so much a we want to grow for the sake of growing. We want to grow just so that more people can come and less people have to mm-hmm. miss out um, because yeah, yeah. the Sydney contingent, most of the people that come to Slaughter, we always get new people every year, which is great. Um, but a lot of the people that come are regulars now that come every year. And, and at, at that 64 number, if we don't increase it, you're always going to then have a bunch of new people that can't come along or the, I guess, old hands that then miss out. Miss yeah. out. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd love like a group of the Kiwis to be able to come over or like a few people internationally potentially to be able to come. Um, so we do want to try and increase the size, but we, we've we both long since moved on from just trying to grow it for the numbers sake and to get into the hundreds sort of thing mm-hmm. um the venue is big enough like we were looking at it properly this year the venue is big enough that if we wanted to and we did it like other events have been run where the table and how cancon has to run where the tables are end to end to end we could do a hundred plus people in that room it would fit Okay. But we we don't want to do that. We don't want to sacrifice the comfort of the players and the space around the tables, as James said. Yeah. Um, Weekend of Sweathammer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's something that everybody commented on saying, we like, I love how much space there is. And as you said, Sam, yeah. like, you're not bumping bums with people all the time. You can walk <laughs> around your table. Yeah. Um, as James mentioned, there is a little room. It's not like a, a Runax thing where when you say <laughs> there's another room, it's not like there's a whole other hall the same size next to it. It's it's there is a small room at the top of the stairs at the back that I think we could comfortably fit another six tables in. Um, yeah. And then, as James said, there's definitely room on the floor for us to have put in another couple of tables and there still would be so much room around every table we wouldn't impact how many tables we have in the tiers um so we think we can probably up the size to 80 um without impacting on the quality of the event um if we can get that extra room at the back so that will be our next negotiations we have with the club um (laughs) in terms of in terms of next year if we can secure that room as part of the weekend hall hire um then we probably will look to expand the event to 80. Um, but I don't think we'll ever, ever go past that. And I think me and James mm, are both happy. Yeah. And 80 players is still a very big event for it is, yeah. people to come to, for it to feel prestigious, face a variety of armies, um, have a bunch of people at different levels competitively, etc. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of 
where we're at in terms of the event we wanted to run and considerations around numbers. Mm-hmm. I noticed you said one of the comments was you're allowed to store all your tables and stuff and the toppers and terrain at the event. What do you think allowed that sort of relationship to happen? Because I know that's a pretty big sort of thing for an RSL to store like just a, a, a group of people's things that come there maybe once a year, maybe twice a year if you're lucky for other sort of things later on. How do you think that relationship was able to flourish to allow you to have that much stuff stored at an RSL? Well, it's that's a good question because um, it comes, as you said, like through relationships and the relationships that we um, had uh, with uh, the um, a company of Dice Gaming Club. So it's a Sydney um, gaming club that we joined uh, very early on, like uh, 2016, 2017, around that sort of time. Um, they are a Sydney-based club. Uh, they play all sorts of different games. They meet at the first Saturday of every month at Padstow. Um, it's been at, that's been at different venues as well over the years. Um, Start off at South Coogee Bowls at one point. I think that's where we had the very first slaughter. Um, and it was through that connection with our gaming club that um, gave us that kind of door in. So they had done uh, groundwork, I guess you could say, with developing that um, consistent relationship with the with the RSL and through our membership of, of that club, um, then sort of being the link into the management and through them. And because they meet every month, it makes sense for there to be a storage space for all their terrain and tables and mats. And so um, that's sort of like part of the, the relationship of, of a company of dice and um, by extension we've uh, through that connection have um, been able to establish our own relationship with the club. And it's kind of all just one big happy family, a big loving of um, terrain and mats and boards and little storages <laughs> off the side of the table. So, and, it, and, and the club knows um, and company of dice knows, you know, they've, they can use our stuff whenever they want. Like it's there for the, for the taking, not for the taking, but it's there for the, um, <laughs> it's there for the usage of the club um, and for the benefit of the, the gaming community. So yeah, definitely. That's um, all part of it. Okay. So something that you've built over the years, especially with the, the, the monthly meetups makes it a lot easier. Yeah. That's, guys, that's but... kind of where it makes sense. Cause like, yeah, if we was just, you know, going in cold for it, can we store our stuff here for a year and never come? <laughs> like it just, I don't think, yeah, you get a slam door sort of thing. So yeah. well, they, they would yeah. just look at you funny, I think, but, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but the, the relationship is definitely well established with um, a company dice and um, through, and, uh, through our, our connection with them. So, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. It was, it was one of those things where in the first year, I was very much organizing it through um, Byron, who at the time was kind of the the, the leader, the main person um, of, of Company of Dice. So I would kind of talk to him, then he would talk to the venue, um, but the booking was kind of made through him. So he would be like, look, I, I can probably swing this. And then I would say, okay, is that okay? And the, that first year was very much um, going through him. And until obviously on closer to the weekend, I kind of got the direct contact that he would speak to. Um, and then obviously I built that relationship through with them. Um, and obviously we were respectful. Um, we didn't try and push our agenda on them and say, this is what we are going to have from you or anything like that. It was very much a, okay, what, what, what can we do? Um, okay. If you open, if these are your opening times, I guess we'll have to work to it. But then in the kind of the follow-up year, it was like, look, we really need to start earlier. Is there any way we can, we can start an hour earlier, for example, because the RSL doesn't normally open until 10 AM. 
which okay. I mean, you know, from tournaments, three three games day one. If you if you <laughs> don't if you can't even get into the building till ten a.m. Like that is so hard to run an event. You are going to run so late. Um, and so that's something where like now with that relationship, they have a couple of people come in early for us to open the RSL early specifically for us so that we can run a tournament and kind of and start. And even then we probably start later than others. Like they open the doors at nine. So we kind of have registration till 9.30 and we, we start mm-hmm. game one at 9.30, which is still kind of late like a lot of tournaments are probably getting people in the doors at quarter past eight starting at 8 45 sort of thing so slaughter is one that does run a bit later because we are beholden to the restrictions around the rsl and and they've as i say they over the years they are coming to the table more and more as we develop that relationship and and it's beneficial to them as well because we're now at the point where we bring in 64 people for a weekend that all drink a lot they eat there like it's good trade for the yep. club especially bouncing back from covid it's been a big thing for the club um to have that extra trade in because a lot of their usual friday night things that they would have done they still haven't come back to doing them since since covid so okay um i think that has helped us um from this year as well bringing in that extra bit of trade um the the venue definitely benefits from it and it's something that we encourage our participants to drink and eat at the venue and and give give back to them as well um so it's mm-hmm. all just about recognizing like everyone needs to get something out of it and if you if you go into a tournament tournament recognizing that that you want you want something from them you need to be able to offer them something in return um as yeah. i think if the more you can make it beneficial on both sides um the more likely you are to build good relationships and be able to continue to get more and more and more in return from the venue um and again try and give back more and more and more um and that that for us i think has really helped over the last three years develop that relationship with padstow so yeah because it definitely seems like the fact that you can get them to come in earlier, so they're paying staff their hourly wage to come in earlier to to do things they wouldn't normally do, which it sort of speaks volumes to the relationship you're able to build over the last few years to get you to that point. Because I know most probably RSLs would just go, nah, you can just deal with it, open at 10. But that's our trading hours. If you can't sort of meet to those sort of things, well, then that's on you guys. Um, so that's nice that you're sort of able to get those sort of things going. And I noticed you guys had sort of started doing like um, raffles and um, lucky door prizes and stuff like that to encourage people to spend. Well, what was sort of the thinking behind that and how did, how has that sort of gone over in general? Um, well, yeah, the raffles, like, well, this, this is the first year we did raffles actually. Um, so okay, I think it was just a, a good way to uh, raffle one of the prizes um, we had um from across the bar sales. So the bar sales was like for every $10 you spent, you got a ticket. Um, and that was, um, went off for one of the bigger prizes and just a way to offload a prize really. Um, as I think it was the, one of the battle mats we used for that raffle. Um, and also, you know, drive, drive some sales across the bar for the club and, um, and for the, we had a second raffle and this was more of a, um, from one of our sponsors, Emerald Hobbies, uh, gave us a uh, a box. I think it was a um, Arena of Shades uh, box. And um, part of their conditions for giving that to us as prize support was to uh, raffle it off and give the money to charity. So um, we chose our friend uh, uh, Daniel uh, Dan Brewer, um, who was doing the push up challenge, 
and raising money for Lifeline. And so we thought, okay, that's a good opportunity to kind of get behind him, support our mate and um, raffle it off. So that was the reason for the raffles really. Um, prize, mm-hmm. get, getting offloading prizes and supporting charity. Yeah, and they sort of went well, especially the because I know a lot of people spend money behind the bar, but it's a bit of an extra incentive and also a kickback for for like sort of people spending more money, uh, and that everyone sort of seemed to enjoy that sort of method. Yeah, yeah for sure, and and, yeah. and look, that's I think anybody that knows that have run tournaments and is honest anyway, you always borrow things that you see that you like from other events, and that whole raffling um, for based on money spent behind a bar is something that I think it was at. Um, was it uh what's the one in south australia saggy tea i think that's something they did there um in terms of money money spent behind the bar um i thought that was a good idea um and like Mm. i said my previous point it's all about what can you do to further relationships and to be seen to be to be understanding that you want to help the club as well as them helping you so it was a cool well we can get this mat i want I want the RSL to see this as a beneficial thing for them. So they're keen to have us back next year and give us more and more concessions on things. So if we can spend a load of money behind the bar, I'm going to do something to drive that. And so, yeah, it was like, cool, let's, we've got a prize that we've been given from one of our sponsors. We'll keep that aside. We'll do a raffle. um, And like, RSL do that sort of thing all the time. So they already mm-hmm. have raffle books. They, they're they fine to run all that. There's there's no input on my side. Like I didn't have to do anything. They had all the raffle books. <laughs> I just basically said, look, can we do a can we do a thing? Every $10 people spend behind the bar, you give them a raffle ticket. At the end, we'll just pull, pull one of them out and that person will win the map. Um, and so that kind of went hand in hand with something I wanted to do last year, but we weren't probably quite there with the relationship yet. Um, but this year I, I got it across the line after last year going so well was we had a cocktail, you know, like a, a themed signature kind of Sydney Slaughter cocktail. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something I, again, I didn't know how much input the club would let me have, but I kind of said, look, can we do a themed cocktail? Am I allowed to input creatively on this if so (laughs) can we do this as the name based on like it was taking inspiration from the at the time recently released fury of the deep the fire slayers (laughs) and deepkin joint box set so i was like let's do like a a a twist on a dark and stormy like a fire and stormy sort of thing um so then to that theme i was like well what if we did kraken um as obviously a um a water base thing the crack the kraken and then fireball whiskey for the fire side of things and then with like ginger beer and and lime sort of thing so very much a just a dark and stormy with some um like with some whiskey added into it kind of thing um and yeah the venue was like yep we can do that the only the only thing was it would have probably been quite an expensive cocktail so instead of it being fireball it just ended up being kind of a half shot of jim beam regular whiskey but it was still ten dollars as a price point for a shot of kraken half a shot of jim beam ginger beer and i think that's pretty good which was really good and it was the kind of cool the slaughter theme cocktail is ten dollars let's make it every ten dollars you spend behind the bar gets you a raffle ticket that's gonna encourage people to just go what drink am i gonna have let's have the ten dollar (laughs) cocktail and so it was just all those sorts of things where the venue pre-prepared for that so they bought in a load of crack and they bought in a load of jim jim beam ginger beer etc um yeah 
so that they were ready to go. It was the most regular drink so that it, they weren't having to do loads of different drinks orders. It just, mm-hmm. it just aligned and it helped both sides because yeah. we raised a ton. They were, oh, awesome. they were blown away by how much, <laughs> how, they? how many of those they sold. Um, Didn't they, they have to go and get more Kraken the next day? Day or one, yeah. day one, they had to go out and buy more Kraken <laughs> because we'd already gone through, we'd already gone through five bottles of Kraken. Um, so they went and got more. Um, so that was great. Like they were super stoked, right? So again, it was, it's building that relationship because they are, and they tell us like, you, you're like the best event we have. We love having you guys. And they are just going to keep offering us more. Like after last year, it went really well. They gave us 50% discount on the hall hire for this year. So we're, okay. all we did was chuck that saving straight into more price support. So this year, every single person got a lucky door prize. From mm-hmm. how we had the prize with the sponsors, we kind of there was a few towards the end where I managed to arrange it in terms of numbers. So we were like, we're going to have sixty-four prizes here. Every single person is going to get something, um, That's and and yeah. that money that we saved on hall hire just went straight into allowing that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, I don't know if we'll get a further discount in future years or not. But as I say, it's like just doing things to improve that relationship and. Yeah, it, I don't see why you wouldn't want to do stuff to help out the venue um, and also help out mm. our players because I had a lot of those cocktails over the weekend um, <laughs> <Yeah>. myself, so <laughs> that was great. Um, but yeah, it's um, <laughs> it was it was it was good to do, and yeah, I'm always keen to support charities as well. And um, as James said, Dan, Dan was already doing kind of the push up challenge for for Lifeline, and I'd already decided I wanted to do something around mental health because it's definitely something that seems to impact a higher proportion of people in this hobby than i would say in in normal population mm-hmm. um for i don't really know but for one reason or another i guess miniatures are an escape form for a lot of people um and so yeah i, I already wanted to do something around mental health so it, that kind of just fell into place as well so and um, that was that was good and yeah that again the emerald hobbies were, were great to to do that and uh, i think that's something that's not unique to our event it's something they offer as a general yeah event sponsorship thing i think people running over, event events over 50 people or something they yeah, they so will donate one of those big boxes under that stipulation that goes to charity border war had the same deal oh cool yeah yep. it's good to see that them also they as, as a group or company are sort of looking to support our community in charity reasons as well which is nice to see sort of a bigger company because um, they're still they're quite known in our gaming community, but it's nice to sort of see that they're willing to put aside stuff for like charity raffles and stuff like that. Um, what sort of other things do you guys do uh, maybe at the end of the night on the Saturday or sort of throughout the event to sort of, I suppose, add, offer more encouragement or um, sort of get more excitement going on as well after the tournament? Do you mean like on a Saturday night sort of thing? Like yeah, because yeah, I heard you yeah. guys do stuff on Saturday nights. Yeah, yeah, we run run trivia. Like so, yeah, we've done trivia okay. the last few years. Um, yeah, so Chris, Chris and Omi has well, yeah, years past. Chris has always thrown together a um, trivia pack. I think one of the years I had some had some input as well. Um, but Chris, yeah, Chris gone all out this year, um, full on like stats uh, questions, law questions, uh, wall scroll questions and stuff. Um, everyone got their teams and. Had a blast. Um, <laughs> I I like to put my spin on things by playing like cheesy music in between, like you know game <laughs> game show music and stuff like that. Um, but um, yep. but also like an extra bit of spice this year was um, Chris actually got 
uh, some guests to record questions. Um, so we had Clint. Oh, cool. So we had uh, various um, various people from from the community. Um, you know, we had them up on the screen, but we had a, we had some AV issues there, so we couldn't actually hear them. But <laughs> but I think yeah, Clint, Clint um, had a question. Um, Darren Watson had a question. Daniel Street, um, AI Shorts had a question, and uh, Sean Tubbs uh, from um, Sean Bates. Uh, Sean Bates, sorry, Tubby. I, I said that. Both, I, I always get, Sean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So Notorious got up and had a um, had a question as well, talking about yep. you know talking about Scarbrand fucking or something. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was. Uh, I, I'm going to put them in. I'm putting them into our kind of our coverage episode of, of the event. So uh, if people want to hear them, that they'll be able to hear them because you couldn't hear them on the weekend, which yeah was an AV AV <laughs> problem, unfortunately. But um. Yeah, that was just a little a fun thing to do. In yeah. hindsight, I made the quiz much too hard this year. Um. <laughs> yeah, that that was the feedback. I think. <laughs> but um, yeah, but we we don't also we've done um, in the past we've done just uh, general um, you know general trivia questions, general knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in, integrated that into it as well. So um, yeah, we're just trying new things every year. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you find the trivia sort of helps? Because I know at the end of a tournament, especially on the first day, you play three games and everyone sort of looking to unwind and relax and i know if there's not anything planned afterwards everyone just sort of meanders around and then just disappears all at once have you found that the trivia and these end of night things have really sort of brought the the whole tournament together at the end absolutely yeah yeah people are getting people getting their tribes and um, there's a little laughter because by that stage everyone's you know uh been yeah, day drinking so it's very mm-hmm. rad it gets a bit rowdy um bit, bit of rivalry going on different groups and yeah it's good fun yeah yeah Definitely, definitely um, a highlight and a fun, like one of the fun aspects and keeps everyone there, keeps it social, uh, keeps it jovial. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's my favorite part when I get sassy on the microphone. Cause I feel like I'd, I don't have, <laughs> not that I'm professional during the day, but like i I, I very much enjoy just like back chatting to people and making jokes and, and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed do, running the trivia. Um, Okay. And yeah, as James said, like last year ended up in general knowledge because to be honest, I I dropped the ball and hadn't had time to write AOS trivia, so I just did general knowledge trivia. But um, <laughs> um, this year, people probably would have preferred general knowledge trivia because <laughs> the AOS trivia I went too involved and it was a bit it was a bit hard, but uh, it was still good fun. So yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. And then you guys said earlier on that neither of us are located in Sydney. <laughs> How have you found trying to now run a tournament out of a location that neither of you two are at? Easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, um, I suppose we're at the point now because, you know, as we mentioned, we've got the storage there. Um, kind of everything's there. So um, I chose to bring up all of my personal stuff this year. Um, so I packed my car um, full of as much terrain tubs of my own personal stash as I could and my mats. Um and so I was able to cover 10 tables from just my own personal stuff. Um, but apart from that, it's a lot of its emails, getting sponsors. Um, Chris does, Chris does all the, uh, so liaison with the club. Um, and he gets, brings on, usually brings on the big fish sponsor and I'll be in the background kind of managing the ticket sales and, um, bring reeling in other sponsors. So I like kind of think of it like a cast a wide net, um, and just see who bites. And, um, you know, we kind of just go from there and, reeling in the sponsors are probably like sort of gen, around January, February, March, sort of around that early year, we kind of go, oh, slaughter's coming up. We better, uh, we better start doing something. 
<laughs> so yeah. um yeah chris organizes the um organize all the trophies as well and um okay we just get all the prizes delivered to my place because i got the car um <clears throat> chris flies down from brisbane um and kind of yeah that's kind of what we do in the background at the moment it's kind of built up to this point where it's a lot of it's email and communication work in the lead up um yeah yeah because i suppose you're lucky enough that you don't have to bring you have to worry about trying to sort out tables or terrain and that because it's already all there yeah like in, uh, in years past like it was definitely um much more of a slog um yeah honestly it was harder when <clears throat> yeah. we were in sydney it was harder because of the venue <laughs> because of the venue restrictions you were storing it somewhere like i think i think the ashfield year i had stuff in liam's garage i had stuff everywhere and then you, you you're taking the day off like on the friday and doing <clears throat> bucket loads of trips between wherever it's stored to the venue because unless you've got a, a big ute which i didn't have none of my friends had at the time um mm -hmm. so the ashfield year was yeah like a three or four back and forth from liam's place to to club ashfield mm. um and then up and down the stairs and everything honestly this year was was one of the easiest despite the fact that i came from brisbane and james was in was <laughs> yeah, in Gol yeah. was in goulburn and and as i say that that is a huge reason why we do it at padstow rsl because it 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 would probably become too hard um okay in all honesty um unless we found people nearby um that had garage storage space that were willing to do that for us but even then we would need people that had cars and utes and had to there's such a big difference between needing to load all of that stuff out of a hall out the front of the venue down the road into cars than there is just going hey guys can everyone just grab a board and put it in this <laughs> cupboard like it, it, yeah, yeah. it honestly it oh, honestly so is a lot easier than most people have it running tournaments mm -hmm. even if they were running it at a hall down the road from their house it's honestly easier being where it is because the terrain just stays there yeah yeah okay yeah and then were, you, were there any other considerations you found might have been maybe a little bit difficult because you were away besides like you got the main stuff of the train and that or anything was a pretty smooth sales sort of with all that um i guess it's like james said like we manage it because he's driving um from okay. from goldman like if he was not a drivable distance and he was like me and had to fly um we would have to work something else out with yeah. all, the pr all the prize support um we'd be because... relying on, on sydney and we'd probably be relying on people in sydney to you know um store stuff for us and keep stuff bring it up and pick us up and <laughs> all that yeah. kind of thing yeah yeah okay. yeah um but yeah because james was driving yeah as he said any of the prize support we got from sponsors we had it shipped to james's place um and he brought it up in the car the other thing with the trophies i've used the same company in sydney for every year now of slaughter um they okay. literally this year was a I take the awards, the, the order. I literally take the order confirmation from last year. I, <laughs> I forward them that email and say, can you update these to say 2022? And then I dropped off one of the trophies and then added two new ones for the extra painting categories. And, okay. and that was it. And they know my order. They get it done. They give yeah. me a good, they give me a good price. <clears throat> and then me and James just went and dropped by the shop on the Friday during the day picked those trophies up and took them to the venue and that that's smooth sailing that's easy yeah it seems out of all of your answers consistency seems to be the easiest way to keep going forward with tournaments yeah yeah <laughs> you just just gotta you gotta start somewhere you start start yeah. small and um it just you just you build it up over the 
over the years. Like it's, it's, yeah. I don't think there's, it's not a, it's not a huge secret really. It's just, it's just the matter, matter of just getting in there and rolling up your sleeves, doing the hard yards in the first few years. And then, um, mm-hmm. you know, you build those. From- it's, oh, it's just smooth sailing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but then you, you build, you just build on your experience from the last year yeah, yeah. and you, you know, and you just kind of gets that little bit easier each time because you've done it, you know, that many times already. So yeah. um, it's just kind of, it's just one of those things, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look five years in, that kind of stuff, yes. But mm. the first three years were all at different venues. Yeah. yeah. So okay. <clears throat> those first three years going, right, we need a venue, we need to sort this out. Mm. That had all its challenges. And then it was like, right, we definitely can't do it at this venue next year. <clears throat> so we found a different venue that had its challenges, didn't really work out. So yeah, we found another venue and then that venue kind of worked. And then from there, we basically just go, Okay, this venue worked. We're gonna, if we can, we're gonna stay with this venue, yeah. um, and and that, and then that's what we've done. And then from there, you're kind of trying to improve on the things you can improve at that venue. But um, mm-hmm. five years in, that kind of stuff, it it, do, it mm-hmm. definitely does get easier, and you do get the benefit of staying in a consistent venue like that. Um, mm-hmm. Which is another reason we don't really want to move um, yeah. because because yeah. we we we're comfortable there now, and we know mm-hmm. that we can do it. Um, but yeah, those those first three years was a lot more admin on yeah. my side um, yeah. to find those places, develop those relationships, um, yeah. and then you run it there, and then you go, "Now nah, this doesn't really work. Um, yeah. I don't want yeah. I don't want to do this again here next year." Which means you either go, "Is this too much? Are we not going to do it?" <laughs> or you go, "Nah, I, but I've got to find an alternative." So yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, but yeah, I think if we, if we were start just starting out and Chris lived in Brisbane, and I lived in, you know, Goulburn in year one, there's, there's no way, I don't think slaughter, it wouldn't have happened. It just wouldn't have yeah, happened. Yeah, or if, yeah. if, even if like we both lived in Sydney, did the first year, then we both moved away. It probably just wouldn't have happened again, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. But um, now it's, yeah, we can. So. <laughs> yeah. That's good to hear that, that sort of you able to get all that sorted out and then it's just the, the bookkeeping and the, the paperwork sort of things to try and get it running. Um, you spoke earlier about sort of trying to get sponsors. Have you got tips for people that want to try and get a few sponsors in for their tournaments? Um, I usually just go uh, to places that I like, like different um, online hobby shops or brands or whatever. So um, I try and keep it as local as possible. I always sort of go to this back to the same people um, <clears throat> and then cast my net wider as well to see who bites. Mm-hmm. Um and I just write up an email, um, send it to their info or to their, um, they you know, go to the contact me or contact us section of their website and just send, send an email through just saying, Hey, um, you know, just tell them a bit about the event. Um, how many people, uh, you know, name drop the podcast, um, just things like that, you know, <laughs> just kind of, uh, kind of write it up in a, like almost like a sales pitch, but not too much of a sales pitchy way, but like just kind of, yeah, an intro- introduction. This is the event. We run it in Sydney at this venue, um, this day, every year. Um, we've seen it build up over the last five years. Um, you know, we, we've already sold out within two hours or whatever, three hours. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, we'd, we'd love to ha- have you come on board as a sponsor. Any price support you would like to offer, um, big or small, is greatly appreciated. Um, and we kind of just... It just builds from there. We either hear back from them and they go, yep, sweet, cool, love to be on board. Um, and they'll send us prizes. Others will be like, you know, so how much money you want to spend with us? Um, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Or we can offer you discounts um, on, you know, buying stuff from us. Um, 
you know, so obviously it's got to benefit the, the sponsor as well. Um, we can't rely completely upon um, charity, but it's, I guess that's part of being a sponsor is, um, is making that sacrifice for the community and to get your name out there and to become a part of like of the community as well. So that's kind of, you want to kind of bring them into the fold and kind of also say like, you know, this would be a great way for you to engage with the Australian Age of Sigma community Um I kind of put in little one-liners like that um, in my in my <laughs> in my emails, and like it doesn't. I don't get responses from everyone. I get a little bit from here and there. Um, always get like positive um, a positive response. Um, very rarely get um, you know negative responses. Um, so yeah, um, some people have all the best intentions and don't end up coming through, and that's fine. You know, it's, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, it's it's it is what it is. It's just a it's just like fishing kind of thing. You kind of just, you, mm-hmm. you catch, you catch the ones that want to be caught, I guess. Like <laughs> um, throw, throw a little bit of bait on there with those nice uh, taglines and then uh, <laughs> try and reel them in. And then the worst I can say is no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think you, actually James, like that's, you said something there that made me think, yeah, that's actually a really good thing to say for people that are starting out. Like I know in <clears> the first year, for example, of slaughter, we didn't have much price support. The little bit we got was from those few, and to be honest, rare, and I can understand why, especially after COVID, people need to realise you are very rarely going to just get given stuff for free. Um, It's very, very generous sponsors that will just go, sure, what's your address and send you a box of stuff. Um, And I I can completely understand that from a business perspective um, because that is a pure cost to them. a lot more sponsors will meet you at the point of like, you can buy stuff at cost price. So they, it doesn't, it's basically a zero impact to them, um, which is, is great. Um, and, and that obviously still helps massively on buying stuff. Um, but it is something that I think you need to be aware of. You shouldn't just go like, if you want price support, it's not something you should just expect that you're just going to get price support for free. You need to spend money for prizes and prize support will come in the form of you don't need to spend as much money as retail, but you shouldn't be expecting to get stuff for free. So when you're costing your event, your ticket price, if you want there to be prize support, you need to be running it at a price that covers your venue high, your trophies or whatever, whatever else your overheads are. You need to add an amount to that so that you can buy sponsorship not in the sense of being like, hey, I'm going to buy you as a sponsor, but in the sense of a brilliant sponsor will come on board and say, we will let you, you can order at cost price. Yeah, That's fantastic okay. because that's like a 50% discount and that is absolutely brilliant and you definitely should not be turning your nose up at that because mm. you need to spend $150 to get a $300 box. Yeah. You, ne- you just need to be aware that that is a significant discount and they are doing you a really solid sponsorship deal by letting you buy stuff at cost at cost price but that is a cost to you that you need to bear so not all sponsorship is just getting stuff for free it's getting stuff at a discount which means that price support still costs you as an event so you need to factor that into your ticket price um and you do get the occasional rare ones that will just go wash your address and they will send you a box of stuff yeah Um, yeah Normally that stuff is the more obscure, less commonly bought stuff that they've probably got in their pile of we're not we haven't sold this in 10 years, but you, you you're not exactly gonna turn your nose up at it, it's free, it's great. Yeah. Um yeah. but 
the reality with 90% of sponsors is it will be, yeah, you buy stuff at cost or I'll give you a 30% discount on buying stuff. So you, you are going to have to spend money to get price support. Yeah. Yeah. There's like a couple of years, we haven't done urban mats this year, but um, I think it's a couple of years ago for like two years in a row, we did um, like a deal with urban mats where they gave us like a 35% discount on buying in bulk. So we just put out the word to people who were coming to the event if they wanted to go in on a, like a bulk order. Um, so we did like a, you know, you know, three, I think it was about three and a half to four, I think it was about 4K worth of um, stuff like mats and pre-painted terrain um, and just did up an order for um, a whole bunch of people and we got that in and they were able to collect it at the event and take it home with them kind of thing. So we kind of brought it to the table um, for them in that respect by putting a, you know, big, a big order in, um, which they shipped to us at a good price and gave us heaps of extra bonus terrain um on top of that oh, awesome. for free so it's kind of it was it was good um so yeah you'll find you'll have the, you'll build those relationships with your sponsors like you do with your venue kind of thing like um um you know one of the one of the ones i i love is um war and peace games every year i've emailed them they've come straight back saying yep yeah, we'll, we'll get on board um <clears throat> they've sent us free stuff um, for a couple of years and this year we've kind of had we've um done a different deal with them where, um so it's not them just completely giving us giving us stuff but which is fair enough and um another thing you get you throw in there and which which we have done is um make sure that they know that they're getting advertising for their their, biz, their business so um we always say we'll mention you on our podcasts um who which get over you know gets over you know x amount of listens per episode um you know so we could you know estimate this amount of people listen um and um, we'll put you in the players pack. We'll put you. So we'll promote you through our um, social media um, channels and all that sort of stuff. So they know that they're going to get some um, some value um, back through free advertising, basically. And that's yeah. kind of part of it too. Um, but yeah, that's kind of yeah, that's sponsorship. And you guys do an interesting. Speaking of mats, you do, I, I could do an interesting thing with your mats at the end of the tournament. Um, not always. That's something we did this year in terms of. Um, yeah, as a bit of a way of getting mats for tables, we wanted them covered, but then also of a, a lot of time people do want to buy new mats, especially because we got a lot of the new size 44 by 60s. Um, and yeah, James kind of mentioned before that there's been a couple of years where I've maybe brought in, I wouldn't say I get the big sponsor, like James James does most of the work for the sponsorship. Like he, okay. he sends so many emails and, and correspondence. There's just been a couple of years where maybe last year for example was the big push where we went from mm. 42 yeah. to a plan of 70 and we were like we need a shit ton of terrain and so i kind of looked at some options saw battlefield in a box terrain liked it and basically thought look i'm gonna try and and pull this in as a sponsor and go go to them and say look i want to run an event that's going to be 70 people we want every single table to be fully furnished with battlefield and a box terrain um this i want to place an order that is going to be 300 plus pieces of terrain with you so it will be a substantial order and basically i went from there and that email went through one person then went to basically the director of the company in in new york and then I was emailing back and forth for a few months to kind of secure that. Um, and like, we, we got that and that's, that was something where that wasn't them just giving us stuff. They gave us a massive discount. Um, it still worked okay. out to be 
a very substantial investment because of shipping, which we still had to cover. Mm -hmm. um, but like it was thousands and thousands of dollars, right? And that's something that I, I ordered up front. And yes, we have the ticket price, but it's something where if you if you want to get big sponsorship like that, you've got to you've got to spend. But then if you mm -hmm. do spend and the company can see that like they're going to get money from you and it's not just a case of like give us free stuff, please. As James said, if you end up placing bigger orders like the Urban Mats order because we ended up like that was a great initiative James did of seeing how many people in the local community would want to jump on board and get mats. We collected those funds and then placed a much bigger order. The Urban Mats were like, oh, shit, okay, we've just got we've got <laughs> four grand off these people rather than 600 bucks. And then they, yeah. they chucked in loads of free terrain and all that extra stuff. So um, most sponsorships are – most sponsors are willing to and will just, without even telling you, throw extra stuff in. Like Deep Cut Studio this year, our deal was that – we paid for in a certain amount of mats they would give us a few additional ones plus an additional one for free um when we actually opened the boxes there was two additional ones for free and i did okay. i didn't know that was coming that was just a on the day we opened the mats and i went oh <laughs> there's 20 in here i thought there was 19 excellent thank you sort of thing yep. so um you do find those things happen quite a lot whenever you place those bigger orders um and it it's something that requires a bit of an upfront investment th that year with the terrain. I, personally, I put in a fair bit of my own money to that still to this day, but that's fine because we've got it every year for slaughter. If I recover yep. it over the next few years, great. If I don't, it's a sunk cost. I'm kind of okay with it sort of thing. And I think most TOs are at that point. You, you do put in a lot of your own money in all honesty. You don't, mm -hmm. most people anyway, don't run events to make money we run events because we want to give back to our community and, and have a place for our friends and, and stuff to meet up and have a good weekend. And I get enjoyment from that. So it's, it's something where I guess if you want to run a big event, probably be aware that like there is a bit of a financial impact. If you want to run a good event, um, you obviously don't have to whatsoever. Um, and again, part of that comes down to ticket price and how much you think people are willing to pay. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of considerations that go into it, but you, I think if you're willing to just come up with ideas and go, do you know what? If I can get this to work, we can we can do this. There's an idea here. If you don't ask the question, don't send the email, you're never gonna know. Um yeah. and, and as James said, some people respond, some people don't, and that's fine. You cast a wide net and generally we've always operated on a first come, first serve basis because if people respond to us, we respond to them we'll spend some of the money. We generally tend to avoid spending all of the, all the prize pool in one place so that we can support multiple businesses. Um, okay. I mean, this is a hobby where generally these aren't huge multi-million dollar companies. <laughs> they are often fairly small um, family run businesses. So we do try and support yeah. multiple people. Um, it was actually something I, I've been thinking about a lot over the last couple of uh, like a week or so after listening to your last episode with Clint around mm. sponsorship. Um, you you raise the point of do you want to cross pollinate similar sponsors, and it made me think. Do you know what we've never really considered that? Like yeah. we we've had multiple online Australian retailers as sponsors, and that isn't something that honestly had gone through my mind of really being a, an issue. Would they care? Um, and then listening to it, I was like, oh, maybe they would because you you kind the, of are the saying, competitors. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, you yeah. kind of saying go here, but also go here, but also go here. So yeah. it was like, oh, okay. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 want, I wonder. I mean, in fairness, <clears throat> had any one of those said as a stipulation, we we don't want you to be sponsoring anyone else that competes with us do you know what i mean yeah um then that would have obviously made us go oh okay absolutely either i would have had to have said at that point oh i'm sorry we've actually already got x on as a sponsor so i can understand if you don't want to be involved on that basis and i would just pull out and that's fine um but yeah. no one's ever said that to us um so okay. i hope it, it's yeah. not an issue um i think there's enough hub, hopefully hobby dollars to go around and and spread the love um <laughs> Yeah. But uh it yeah, it's given me food for thought on how, how yeah. we approach it. Um yeah. the mat thing, as James said before, we did urban mats last year, and then this year we did deep cut studio. Um because I kind of wanted to see some different mats. Yeah, um, some great new mats, they're awesome. Yeah. Um we bought we obviously bought a lot of the urban mats ones and we've got loads that are basically either grassy fields or grey cobblestones. Um, and I kind of was like, oh, I'd seen some of the deep cut studio ones before and they were, they were the new size and they do a range that is basically like the eight realms. So they have, they have like a realm of, um, realm of death, a realm of fire, realm of light, realm of heavens. And they look amazing. And I was like, okay, let's, they're based in Europe though. I think they're in Poland. Are they Poland? I think so. Uh, Otherwise like Lithuania or Or something. Yeah, Lithuania, but, um, maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I was like, oh well. Again, there was obviously a significant shipping cost to that, but still, it was it was achievable. And we kind of thought, look, we want a bunch of these mats, but we don't necessarily need to keep them all for how many tables mm-hmm. we have, um, because we had ten or so mats sitting in the cupboard this year that we didn't need to use. And okay. and so that's why going back to your original question, we <laughs> we like we sold we sold some of those mats at the end of the event. Um, and that was always part of it in that I, I guess when I was allocating funds, um, for how much I could spend, I said, look in my head, look, if I buy all of these, I reckon we'll sell at least six. So I overspent my, I guess, break even point by factoring in, look, if I sell six mats, I'll come back to break even. And that's all I'm ever trying to do sort of thing. Um, Mm Yeah. And again, that's like, this is another thing that I've, we've seen in other tournaments. So I've, I've bought one of my mats um, from Runax. So Gabe's done this as well. Okay. Where he'll, he'll have a whole bunch of mats out and they're available to buy if you like one and want one. So yeah, it's not a new thing either. So yeah. yeah. Oh, beautiful. Well, there's an excellent answer and I'm, I'm glad the um, podcast has reached um, and given some thought for you, Chris, which is good to hear. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It's, it, it's yeah, it has definitely given me food for thought in future. So. <laughs> it had crossed. It had actually crossed my mind that thing, but I was like, yeah, oh well. <laughs> we'll promote them all anyway, and yeah, it just looks cool having all the logos there, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you guys handle your price support, and what do you reckon is like the best sort of way about getting it out to everyone and feeling like people? Um, have received something and t- for their time and effort and, and money, I suppose. Yeah, well, um, in years past, it's kind of we've followed the more traditional prize divvying out, which is like tr- trophy winners and you know podiums and painting prizes and stuff like that. Um, and also, there's been years we've had less less prize support than others as well. Um, do not be able to get sponsorship or not be able to afford to buy more, or we've invested um, elsewhere, like for example with the terrain sort of thing. Um, 
but uh, we've kind of, I don't know, like you go from off your own experience to going to other events as well. And um, it's, I've always liked events that have lucky door prizes where anyone's in with a chance to win something. It's not just the, the, tr- the podium winners um, and the painting prize winners, like getting all the, all the goodies. Um, it kind mm. of, you know, it's, oh, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a, maybe a, a, a mild feel bad, you know, when you see that and you just, you know, you see just a very small select group of people getting everything from the tournament and yep. you've, you know, you've done all your effort and painted your army and traveled all that way and um, et cetera. And, you know, not trying to um, say that they don't deserve those things. It's just that a way that's been done, um, but it's much nicer to um, have that more even playing field and have a lucky door prize as well, which we did this year was to um, make sure there was enough so everyone could get something, even if it's just like a, um, you know, as it goes down the list, there was the smaller things like uh, the tufts, like just a, a box of tufts or something for your basing. You know, even if it's just a little, yep. little something. Little green you know. stuff rollers. We had a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. yeah. Kind of. I like. I like the lucky. I like how we've taken it with the lucky door prize thing, and I'm. I'm sure um, uh, people uh, have appreciated that as well. So it's kind of yeah. You get the trophy mm. if you're a podium, and you're um, a painting prize winner. Your prize is the trophy. That is your. Yeah, that is your that's your kudos. That's your um that's your memento, your memento to treasure for the for the event yeah. sort of thing. And then um But that's what you're there for as well. Like mm-hmm. those people that are going for those things are gunning for the trophy. Because <clears throat> it's something that you can't just go to a store and buy. And so if you're gunning for those things and you get a trophy, well then that's you feel mm-hmm. like that's your prize anyway. Yeah. Um yeah. that's the system I always liked is the trophy winners get the trophies, everyone else gets prizes. Yeah. yeah. Unless yeah. you're Dan Brewer and you just throw all your fucking trophies in the bin, which triggers me so hard. <laughs> He's like, oh, I just don't, have, just don't have room for it. Just throw them away. And I'm like, really? Did he do that? Oh, oh. He's thrown so many trophies away. Oh, God. Like, he, and one of them was the freaking Forge World ones from Sydney GT. What? The amazing oh. one. I No, I didn't let him throw it away. I took it. Okay. I have it. <laughs> You've got- <laughs> and I changed. I changed, changed the, the name. I changed. <laughs> I changed the plaque on it to say "Best Seraphon" because I was Best Seraphon at that tournament. So for me, it's valid. <laughs> but I was. So I was good. like, you cannot throw a Forge World trophy away. You cannot do this. No, and he yeah. was moving house for like the fiftieth time, and I was like, no, I'm taking it. If it's going in the bin, I'm taking it. So. Yeah, that's a rarity in Australia. You can't. <laughs> I've got one of the them. It's not legitimately <laughs> mine, but I've got one. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's yeah, hundred percent over the five years of slaughter. That has definitely been an evolution in how we mm. how we do things. Um, at, at the front, as James said, I I was like, well, no, you want to the people that win, they get all this, they like they get the prizes <laughs> right, and then more and more, yeah, you saw that kind of. And I've been to more events, and you're like, oh. It Actually. does look shit with one person just walking around, walking <laughs> away with their arms full and everyone else is like, okay, yeah. cool, cool, yeah. what about me? But um, even yeah. even to the point now where with the trophies, we even differentiate it. So the earlier years we did, like, the person that wins would inevitably get best in whichever Grand Alliance they were playing. Okay. They might also have got best general, depending on however many different awards you had. And it was something that, like... I've ummed and ahed because I'm kind of like, if you are best order though, you, like you should, you should get best order. But like, yeah, it is a thing of even just with the trophies wanting to spread the love a bit. And so that's why this year we did the best in grand Alliance awards, but in the player pack, it specifically says 
goes to the highest non-podium order player, the highest non-podium mm-hmm. death player, etc. So we knew those seven trophies are going to seven different people um, okay. and stuff like that. And then um, everything else, yeah, James said this year was done as a lucky door prize. Um, and we knew we, we arranged it so everyone was going to walk away with something as well. Because like, I don't know about you, but I have literally never won something from those lucky door raffles and i've been at like at Goldcon, they had loads of stuff for example yeah. there was yeah. like honestly there was like 40 people there and like 30 prizes i, I won with something yep. i won a big yeah. boss yeah. <laughs> i didn't my first one ever because i was like i was like going oh there's like there's like basically 40 prizes there pretty much everyone's gonna get something not me and no. i was like <laughs> i was like i'm always the person that never freaking gets anything <laughs> so this year when i looked at it and was like we can we can do a prize for everyone no one is gonna have that oh i was the one in five people that didn't get something <laughs> yeah I think you were the one out of 64 there for gold exactly <laughs> so it was something this year where we like went cool everyone's going to get something and like yeah. we still had that gradient of we had some pretty decent prizes up there like we had start collecting like at least a start collecting i think it was start collecting beast of chaos yeah it's um, a beast, beast which one, is yeah. pretty good R- right now already box now um yeah and then um yeah we like we had a fair few boxes of stuff we had vouchers from like gap games um so and i got those in various denominations so we had a hundred dollar voucher which is a pretty decent prize we had like four fifty dollar vouchers and then like a bunch of 25s um so we kind of i still did the the rng number generator for the first Mm -hmm. 20 or 30 so that people could still come up and there was a get the juicy ones (laughs) there was a benefit to like getting picked early and you still got that like differentiation in prize if you were one of the lucky first 10 or 15 you got something pretty decent but then after that i kind of just went all right everybody else that doesn't have something come up now and take your pick of tufts or rollers or a $25 voucher or, or whatever sort of thing. Yeah. So it was actually, when talking about the prizes, um, I was listening to the um, crutch hammer podcast um, today, finishing up that one. And they were talking about their, one of their favorite moments at the tournament. And um, the favorite moment was, I think uh, one of the boys had gone up to choose a prize. I think it was like a, a lack of eye box. And like Liam was up there as well. And Liam just like, I think uh, he, he was going for it. I think it was, um, uh, anyway, one of the guys was going for the lack of eye and Liam just snatches it out from underneath their hands just as they got it. <laughs> <laughs> Liam just snakes it just at the, at the last minute. Oh, it was hilarious. Uh, anyway. But yeah, we, we didn't want to do, we didn't want to do the, pre-draw everyone here you go come up because because i because i knew (laughs) because i knew everyone was getting something right it was a i was sitting there calling names and as i said after about 20 or so people i kind of i got faster and then we'd have been there forever and then i was like and and like the clapping after each person Like, you know, someone's, someone gets up to get a lucky door prize. Everyone's clapping. It's like, well, I'll be clapping. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next. You were lucky. <laughs> but um, Do yeah. you guys have any um, unique awards or unique prizes? Like I know some places do a sword or a shield um, or some do um, like just like painting prizes and stuff like that. Do you guys have a unique thing for Sydney Slaughter? 
Yeah. Um, so for the painting prizes, they're like a, a jewel. Um, so it's a box. It's a jewel in a box, basically, um, with okay. an engraved, um, you know, the engraving of what the prize is. So there's um, that's kind of our unique prize. The other ones are, uh, you know, uh, standard sort of hobby, not hobby, sorry, um, standard trophy-like trophies, <laughs> like gold, yep. um, gilded sort of, you know, 24-karat gold, um, <laughs> uh, jewel-encrusted uh emeralds and rubies plastic, and of course <laughs> um but no yeah no, yeah so yeah we've got your standard sort of trophy fair and then our mm -hmm. difference is the um the painting prizes are like this really nice sort of uh jewel like a large jewel about the size of it maybe a sort of your fist or your tennis ball like maybe it's smaller than that but yeah like kind of like a yeah that's just it's like a, a diamond a diamond sort of thing yeah yeah okay. yeah that... you guys have a quite a big emphasis on the painting award don't you yeah, hundred percent. It's yeah. um, it's a, it's like a side kind of event that we do. Um, okay. it's it's always been part of the tournament. Um, I say always. We didn't do it the first couple of years, but we've done it s since we've been at Padstow. Um, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and last year, I think was the year it really started to get traction, and we had a lot of, a lot of people come to the event because they heard about the painting competition um and then those people be like i i love this this is why i'm at this event um and it lifts the hobby level across the event even though it is separate um but a lot of the time people are entering stuff from their armies even though you don't actually have to you can enter anything it doesn't need to be in your army um but a lot of, a lot of time people do um and the people that are playing in the event to enter that have nice armies so it has lifted it has lifted the standard yeah. um which is great um and it's definitely something we're going to continue and i think other than maybe increasing from from the 64 to 80 that we mentioned earlier um the painting competition is probably going to be the area we focus to keep trying to grow and develop and improve um and see what we can do about expanding that and instead of it maybe being because we went from four categories last year to six this year um but then for next year we're potentially thinking about doing first second thirds in each of those categories okay. as well which will be a significant increase obviously in number of trophies so we need to we need to think about that um in terms of ticket price what we do um in terms of the those trophies um but mm. yeah as james said like we we have all the tournament standards in terms of your, mm -hmm. your your podium your best in grand alliances your best sports we do a runner-up best sports as well um because again that's something we like to reward that is the only award actually that we did give a prize with we yeah. gave a 50 dollar voucher for best sports and a 25 and a 20 <laughs> and a 25 dollar voucher for the runner-up because yeah again sportsmanship is a massive thing that we want to push um mm -hmm. yeah so that was the only one that we we added prizes to um but didn't make it stupid um mm, yeah but uh yeah i mean our, our first second third are quite nice then they are like chris like glass shard kind of engraved glass shard trophies okay. rather than mm -hmm. being your plasticky metal effect kind of trophies yeah. Um, with your real crystals and your real carrots of gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but otherwise yeah we've got your typical best painted coolest army podium best in ga yeah. and best sports mm -hmm. um and then yeah, yeah the for us it really is the the painting competition is our our award yeah. that is there I, i'm not aware of another age of sigma event in the country that's doing that at the mm -hmm. moment so yeah and what's sort of like um going down that rabbit hole with the painting competition like um we've had a, a real sort of upswell over the last especially last year we had it well the first year we had interest from people not 
at the um to- like competing in the tournament, uh, wanting to enter uh, something into the painting competition, which we had to sort of politely say no. Um, and <laughs> I was going to ask that question. <laughs> um, but then, like the next year, we had a, a more of an interest, like more people were asking, "Hey, can I just enter the painting competition?" Uh, no, mm-hmm. yeah, again, no. And then this year, even more. So it's just kind of organic, organically grown to the point where we kind of, I think, we're at a point now where we could open up the painting competition to people who just want to enter the painting competition and maybe have a a, a separate ticket to enter that event as like a side event to slaughter. So like, if you're, if you're coming to the event to play, um, that's included, um, you know, the entry, you you can enter the painting competition as normal. Um, However, if you can't play that weekend or you just want to enter the painting competition, then there'll be another ticket like for a lesser price, obviously, but to help cover the extra um, overheads with the the trophies, um, and yep. so develop it into like a sort of a side event that you can just enter enter into if you want and just come in on the Saturday, put your models in there and, you know, um, hang out and check everything out. It might even bring in more people who are just like on the fence, who are like maybe the hobbyist type, um, who haven't sort of dipped their toes into playing games, who are kind of, it might just be that kind of thing that helps push them into playing tournaments or um, gaming in general. Um because there's there's a wider community out there um, who Massive. who don't play, you know, or play like the occasional game once every once in a while, or they just don't have an army paint fully painted, and it's just something they do on the side, or they or they love the law, they read the books, um, you know. All there's a whole wide range of different people in our community, and I think this is like a one way one way of kind of reaching out to like a broader um, a broader um, a more diverse group of um, you know within the our community at large or the hobby community at large so yeah yeah yep. well you've just stolen my suggestion and uh question i was going to ask you oh okay well, <laughs> i was going to ask like is there going to be like a side thing and you've already covered all of that i'm like you could you could easily charge more for like or not charge more but charge a ticket price for yeah. just the painting yeah. and you've covered all of that <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah. i think it's, the exci- one- it's exciting i'm really yeah. excited yeah. it's, it's yeah. kind of cool and it's happened organically as well it's not like we've gone let's just push this it's like it's kind of yeah. being pushed onto us so <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think the one, I think the one thing we might, we probably would end up doing is, there are also going to be the people that just want to play in the event and have no interest because there's a huge amount of people that they don't enter anything into the painting competition. And I also, yeah. knowing as I said before that we're probably going to look to expand that. And if we go from six trophies to eighteen trophies, I don't want to be taking funds from people that have no interest in the painting competition to subsidize trophies for a painting competition so i think we've we probably will end up having basically three ticket options you'll be able to buy a pure gaming ticket a pure painting competition painting competition ticket and a combined ticket and the combined ticket will probably have a slight discount to buying both of them together sort of thing so the people that want to do the whole experience can i don't know if it was 50 bucks to just play 20 bucks to do the painting competition if you want both you can get it for 65 sort of thing um don't quote me on those prices they are not final Um, (laughs) but do you know what i mean it might it might actually be that in future we future years for the gaming people we can make slaughter cheaper for them um and 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 the painting competition is is part of that and i'm 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 someone that like maybe and it's just me trying to be overly fair in bunny is like i very much would keep those pools of money separately and the sponsorship for the people that enter the tournament will come from 
the people that buy the tournament tickets and the prize money that I have to buy painting trophies will come from the people that are entering the, the I don't ever mm-hmm. want to take someone's money to subsidize something else. Um, That's the way I'd love to see it. I think done as well. Like everyone outside perspective is like, there's a massive painting contingent. You could have 200 people enter the painting contingent. Why would yeah. <laughs> all of that money that goes from that painting side be put towards the gaming side when they're not even putting in money and you've actually split the ticket costs away? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Um, so imagine, imagine that. Imagine if there's like two. <laughs> well, oh, the, no, way saying, the reason I say 200 people <laughs> is because there's not much painting competitions available in Australia for painters. Outside of maybe the actual painting convention they have randomly yeah. that majority of yeah. war gamers don't even know about. Yeah. I don't yeah. think there's much for mm. 40k either. Um, and there's only the occasional one that can come when that goes ahead. Yeah. I think, uh, but that's only a side I think thing. the only stipulation we will have to, we will make is that you do have to be physically in attendance because mm-hmm. I don't want Lynchy posting us models, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't want Vince Venturella posting me a model from the US and and and, and all that jazz. So I think we will still we will still need the people to physically attend come on, in, on the come Saturday, in and, yeah. put their model in. Um, I also don't want the fucking responsibility of having, <laughs> having to unpack a, a model and put it on yeah. a, a display plinth or whatever. When but... the 200 people come in and you're like, oh, what do we do now? There's 200 of us. And then like you just become the premier painting commission for Australia. What happens yeah. then? Well, look, um... I mean, in all honesty, if, if if we did get so much interest, maybe my whole plan's on that back room. Mm. That back room ends up being the painting competition room. And we just, we set up a bunch of nice black cloth tables with lighting displays. And we use that space as a painting competition room. Um, I don't know. Um, me and James are very much aware that we need to, need to get on top of this and announce stuff a lot earlier if we're going to make yeah. this level of change for the painting competition, because mm. painting is not something you can do quickly. Right. So no. if, if people yeah. are going to want to enter, we want to give people 10 months to paint an entry. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there'll be people that already have models, but most painters want to paint something new for a thing anyway. So, um, yeah. Yeah. we, we are looking to try and come up with what we're going to do pretty quickly and make an announcement with, to give people a decent amount of time to prepare um if we're going to do it i think the more we talk about it the more we're prepping ourselves <laughs> yeah, that we're yeah. going to do it um yeah so yeah i think we probably will do something like that um okay in which case we'll the great thing with that painting competition is we don't really need a cap on tickets no. um so if i can put tickets on sale earlier it might help get an idea of how many people we're going to get entering um which again is going to help us plan okay what can we actually do as trophies Mm. um i know in my head what i'd like to do um but again you always have to be willing to compromise make changes um i say compromise you never know might get blown away and actually be able to upscale my plans um yeah but like we're never going to make money on it we're going to break even on it is the plan so um basically the i guess the more people enter the more funds we have um all i'll do is get better prizes like better trophies yeah. so yeah um, yeah yeah cool have you got any last uh sort of thoughts or suggestions you would sort of put towards uh, a new player wanting to run their first tournament uh, and then also maybe a person that wants to sort of 
increase or reach a larger audience to sort of just make their tournament a bit larger? I mean, if it's your first tournament, don't start at 100 people. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. honestly, yeah, the impact on just so many things going from 20 to 40 to 60 um, is noticeable. Um, the impact on time software do you do it manually through paper booklets do you use an app do you use a web like they're all considerations that um every time you scale up there is more and more and more you have to consider um so i would just say like if it's your first tournament don't try and do the biggest tournament you possibly can um do it do a number that you you know you're comfortable with um do a warm-up like i did (laughs) like it it doesn't even have to be a full weekend like honestly a one dayer um Mm. will still give you all the practice you need in your pairing software getting your round transitions smooth getting results in from players that sort of thing um yeah but you you do need to know that if you do a one day for 16 people and then you plan to do a 40 player two dayer that is not going to run the same as a 16 person event. So you, you need to know like stuff takes a lot longer and it does definitely scale exponentially as you add more people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, James? What have you got? Yeah. Like Chris has already touched on um, most of it there already, but um, yeah, my first thought was uh, just start off running a small one day. Um, and this, like, for example, for myself, um, I've read, I've run um, Goldman Smash or Golden Smash. And um, that was just a one day I ran in here in, in my local town um, before uh, everyone went down into lockdown again. But um, yeah, I just, I wanted to utilize just a local hall. So I had the connection there through um, uh, through uh, Golden Gamers Guild, which is again, a club um, connection. So you can see a pattern here. Um, yeah. <laughs> so if you have a club, a local club in your community that has a hall that already has, um, the infrastructure in place already has mats, tables, terrain, um, you know, get in there, get Im- involved, like actively involved in that gaming group and in that community and build those relationships. And then you'll, uh, potentially be able to have access to, um, using, um, the shared resources. Um, <clears throat> Obviously, don't go there expecting that. Um, it's just it's got to it's got to be organic, and I think uh, things growing organically is the best way to make it happen um, in a good way um, over over time. Uh, but just starting off small, uh, adjust your expectations. Um, yeah, don't expect it to be amazing the first time round. Um, you will learn. You will, you will make mistakes. Uh, you will um, fuck up the pairings. You will like you know <laughs> you stuff. And even like up until you know five years later, you're still there'll still be struggles, you know, um, that will happen at tournaments and uh, things you have to overcome. Uh, just keep a cool head, um, adapt and overcome, as I like to say. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, start a small, run a small event, see how it goes, um, engage, get your trophies sorted, um, uh, get a player's pack sorted, have a good think about your player's pack, um, what you want to put in that. Do you want a house rules stuff? Which um, battle um, pack are you going to use? Um, are you going to run a Thondi event? Are you going to run a narrative event? Are you going to run... Um, you know, sort of clearly define and what your goal is, what you want to achieve, what kind of event you want. Is it going to be vanilla five game match play um, with a twist? Is it going to be, you know, like, it's probably better to start off with simple, um, mm-hmm. use pretty standard stuff. Um, probably just start, start off with a, a simple match play tournament. It's probably really easy to do because it's something that everybody knows and you're more likely to get more people. Um, I guess in 
our case, we've had the benefit of the podcast and having our names and our name out there in the community for a number of years now. Um, that's definitely helped, I think, uh, to build momentum in this space as well, because we can talk about it um, over the airwaves, broadcast it. It kind of it just provides another mm-hmm. outlet in t- for you know to get the get the word out, um, yeah. have that presence on social media. Um, you know, you don't have to go gung ho posting every day and all that sort of stuff. Just be there amongst it and post and interact with people and in, in when as you can. You know, you don't have to put extra pressure on yourself. Um, I've got yeah. my Instagram account. I like to post my hobby in and I kind of interact with people on there. But that's mainly just for my own personal hobby and enjoyment. But um, you know, there's obviously the the crossover um, with the podcast and with the event as well. Um, but yeah, you kind of do that. You've got to put it prepared. Be prepared to put in the work. Um, be prepared to sacri- make sacrifices um, and know that it's, uh, you know, you do it for the love basically. So yeah. Um, yeah. And just, just quickly, if I can yeah. touching on what James said there about us having the reach of the podcast, which helps for us. If you're an individual, be aware of that. You don't need your own podcast. Talk to someone that runs a podcast. You listen, <laughs> you listen to and say, Hey, would you mind either one having me on to talk about this tournament I want to run or just shouting out me and this tournament I want to run. And this is my Facebook event page. It's called this and use other people's reach. Like you don't, we're not saying you have to go and set up your own podcast and do all that to get reach. That's been my ploy the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Use people that you listen to. Like if you're somebody right now that's like in, in a small community, you want to run a 16 player event, but nobody knows who you are and you don't know about it. And you've made an event on Facebook that two people have seen and you don't know what to do message us we will talk about your event for you like and i don't think there's that well i think there's very few podcaster people in this community that would say no to you like people want to grow the scene so please honestly like right now if you're listening to this you want to run an (laughs) event somewhere you don't know how to get the word out send me or james a message we will talk about your event on our podcast and whoever listens to us then knows about your event and like we aren't like we're not the biggest podcast at all we don't have a huge audience but we have an audience of more than two people on facebook that have seen it so do you know what i mean like just reach out to the people that you know of already that are you're listening to um and then the other thing is the two most important things for running a tournament are nothing to do with a tournament they are food and they are toilets. Yeah. <laughs> so you, it is so easy to get blinkered in thinking, oh, I need this tournament software and I need, this is how I need to run my event and I need to do this player's pack. No, you need toilets and, <laughs> and you need food because yeah. <laughs> nothing is going to piss people off more than turning up to a scout hut in the middle of nowhere that has, n- has no facilities and no toilets and no food. Yeah. 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 At, least so, near, at least be near, at least be near like a fish and chip shop or something. Yeah. You know, and like- look, if you're not, if you don't have a venue that has food or anything near it, just tell people in advance, Hey, bring a packed lunch because there is no food. Yeah. Or put in a barbecue. Yeah, that yeah. stuff it, that stuff can be hard to do. You don't have to do it. You don't have to think, shit, I can't run an event if I can't run a barbecue or get a food truck in. You just need to tell people, hey, really sorry, there's no food here. You need to bring packed lunches or be prepared that you're not going to eat. 
But just, <laughs> just tell, just, just tell people. Like, if you can't do something about it, if for whatever reason you cannot find a venue that has that stuff nearby, you got to tell people. Um, and mm. you have to have toilets. The point blank, you have to have toilets. <laughs> you, you, no bucket, no bush. You, you may not be able to eat food, but you will, you will subsist on the tears and lamentations of the of your of your enemy's deaths and the. Like, <laughs> That is a very good point, yes. Because I've noticed a few times that you gotta try even when food is not at the venue, it makes trying to run your tournament hard because people will naturally come back too late. Uh, and that's also an issue. Which I think is why a lot of people work out of clubs um, or RSLs because you can order food there and order drinks there and the toilets are maintained by someone else that's not you. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well awesome. Well thank you very much both for coming on today. I do have one quick question for James. Uh, what is the name of the gathering of the Sylvaneth Glades when they meet to pay tribute to the Ever Queen? And that was asked by Dan Shorts. Oh, God. I saw that, actually, and I thought, should I look that up? <laughs> uh, should I look that up and check it out? Because it's going to be asked. And I, I thought, oh, no, it's not coming up. But um, no, here it is. Here We're it gonna is. Go to you. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Um this is kind of, is this going back to like the first season of War, perhaps? I've got a feeling it might be coming out of the Sylvaneth Battle Tome. I haven't read that. Um, I, I have a lifeline. You have an Ask a Friend lifeline, if you want to play that lifeline. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, I'll ask a friend. <laughs> my first my first um, thought is Entmoot, but that doesn't, um, that's different universe. <laughs> you, you aren't, you are on the right lines though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of those words is correct. <laughs> the glade mute. Uh, if I but, were to say, if I were to say, Alarial is the ever queen. The ever mute. The ever queen mute. <laughs> royal, royal mute. The royal mute, of course. Yes. Thank it was you, in Chris. the quiz, James. You clearly weren't paying attention. <laughs> Oh, one of your quiz questions, was That it? was the quiz question, Dan Street. Oh, so, I was too busy trying to find the next The next jazz game. music. Yeah, the jazz music and the and the <laughs> and the game quiz like music for the like the thinking music like from countdown or something. <laughs> Caught on your own question. Yeah. Classic. Awesome. Well, thank you both of you for coming on. Uh, and be on the lookout for the future as well for James's uh identifying. Um, and I heard James has have a few uh, things he wants to bring up, namely narrative tournaments. Um, so that'll be interesting to hear about some of his thoughts about that. Uh, do you two have anything you want to leave or shout out before we finish up for tonight? Um, no, not particularly. Maybe, maybe just shout out to everyone that came to Sydney Slaughter. Um, thank you again for coming. Um, you guys really make it all worthwhile. The smiles on your faces, the sound of dice and the, and the, the smell of sweat hammer um yeah <laughs> nah, but just yeah just everyone and the feedback the great feedback we get every year just really um makes it all worthwhile yeah so thank you yep i'll i'll just say the same and leave it with that all right no worries and you can both catch you can catch both chris and james on their own podcast morally wounded and i hear they're doing like a little two-part series on their sydney slaughter adventure yep that will hopefully be out pretty soon so yeah, if episode it's not. 50. <laughs> awesome. All right, great. Thanks. Thanks very much, guys, and have a good rest of your night. Thank you for listening to Unidentified Wargamer. You can find links for the guests located in the description. You can find the show on Twitter at U underscore Wargamer, and I will see you next week.